you know, it would be a great idea Please that we get on the same page as progress. the kids. And so we're going to be looking at what Jesus has to say about this issue of prayer. And as adults, if you're probably like me, maybe you don't remember the very first prayer you ever prayed. You know, I mean, I, I do remember the very first prayer that I ever heard, though, is when we would go to my grandmother's house and and uh, we would have dinner and they would pray this same prayer every single time. And it was kind of funny because it had a certain rhythm to it. It rhymed and everything. And in and, and, and our house, when we were growing up, we never prayed. We didn't pray for meals or anything. So when we would go to my grandma's house and we would pray this prayer, my brother and I, you know, it was kind of a weird for us because, you know, we didn't know how to pray it and we didn't pray at home. So we would just kind of, you know, uh, mumble our way through it. We weren't sure what to say, what to do. And, and maybe you've learned a prayer, uh, you know, through repetition as a child, you know, like the old classic bedtime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my Lord, my soul to keep. Remember that prayer? How many ever prayed that prayer, right? Yeah. You know, so, and what's up with that? It even rhymes. So I'm not sure what this whole rhyming thing is with prayer. Just the fact that it rhymes just tells us this, this prayer was well thought out. And there was words that were carefully chosen and put into place so they would rhyme and have this rhythm to it. But then, you know, there just seems to be something within us that causes us to go with the same things every time we pray. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, our prayer life can be, you know, sometimes it becomes hit and miss and, and maybe even a bit stagnant at times. And we just don't feel like praying so many times as often as we should. And I think the reason why that is is because, you know, when we do pray, we just seem to get caught up in praying the same old things the same old way. And when we do pray the same old things the same old way, you know, like a thousand times, it, it just becomes, you know, we'll kind of say it, just kind of almost boring at sometimes. And I think that's why the majority of believers today really do not have a consistent prayer life. And so listen to what John Piper wrote. I, I love the way he puts this. He says, if I try to pray for people in events without having the word in front of me guiding my prayers, then several things happen. One is that I tend to be very repetitive. I just pray the same things all the time. Another negative is, is that my, my mind tends to wander. Man, is that true or what? It's just crazy. You know, it, you have something like really important to pray and you, and you start praying and it just only in a matter of a few seconds, if you're like me, your mind starts wandering and start thinking about all these other things and you, and you go, oh, I'm sorry, Lord. You try to get back to it and before long, you're back to your mind's wandering all these things. And so sometimes, you know, I think we're not really even sure how to pray, and, and we say prayers, and sometimes we hear things that other people have prayed, and, and we end up using these things because it just seems like, you know, the right thing to say at the time. I mean, we'll use these certain catchphrases, what I call, you know, that we, we've heard someone else pray, and it just sounds so powerful, and we end up using these kind of copycat prayer phrases like a long time ago. I mean, probably hadn't been saved, but about a year and I was sitting in service, and, and this guy got up there to pray before the pastor got up to preach, and he said, Lord, hiding behind the cross. I thought, oh, my gosh, that's the most powerful thing I ever heard. And I thought, man, I can't wait to use that one. If I ever get asked to pray for the Sunday school lesson, I'm going to throw that one in there because it just sounded so powerful. It, you know, it, have you ever heard anybody pray in the King James? Like they pray in the King James Version, or you're, you're using all the these and thous? I'm really not sure if that gets a hold of God's ear any better than any other prayer, but it sure sounds powerful. I mean, I love hearing that. But my point is, if you've ever noticed, there just seems to be something within us that kind of goes in the same place all the time and say the same old things and using the same old phrases that we've heard other people 
used before. And, and then there's those times, if we're not real careful, that our prayers can be, well, more about us. Like we pray all the help me, give me, keep me, 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 my, my, my kind of prayers, you know. And, and sometimes, I don't know how or why, but sometimes my prayers just become specifically about me sometimes. And I don't, I don't know why that happens, but, you know, maybe, maybe there are those you, you, you've kind of got caught up in that same thing. And maybe there are of you that maybe you've, you've quit praying because you've prayed all the help me, keep me, give me kind of prayers, and you didn't see God do anything. And so you thought, well, what's the use? And maybe in the past you've prayed for a loved one. You prayed for a loved one. You thought, Lord, if there's ever a prayer worth answering, this would be it right here. And God didn't answer that prayer in the way that you thought he, he should have answered it. And then what usually seems to happen after one of those kind of times, someone seems to come along and they, they ask you to pray for something that just seems ridiculous. And they ask you to pray for something. Would you pray that God will give me the wisdom whether I should buy the new car or the big screen TV? You think to yourself, I'm not praying that. That's just ridiculous, you know? And, and then, you know, and then sooner or later, they, they, those person, they come back to you and say, you're not going to believe what happened. They said, somebody bought me a car, so I had the money to buy the big screen TV. And you're just going, Lord, couldn't you use some of that power to heal my loved one for crying out loud? And so, you know, we just don't understand how sometimes this works. And then there's the yeah, right attitude. You ever got that when you prayed? Like, yeah, right. Like, God's just going to give me a new car. Or, yeah, right, like God's just going to give me that promotion over somebody else who probably deserves it more. Or, yeah, right, like God's just going to drop the money out of the sky to help me pay my bills that I can no longer afford. And so sometimes we get these attitudes, and sooner or later someone comes along, well, you just didn't have enough faith. <laughs> you ever heard that? And then Jesus comes along, as he usually does, and we think we have it all figured out and says, no, you just need to have a little tiny bit of faith about the size of this mustard seed. And so we may not understand how this whole thing works and why God just seems to answer this but not that sometimes. And, but we don't ever want to quit praying, right? We never want to do that because the thing is, if we're not real careful, sometimes our prayers can become just kind of generic and repetitious and, and maybe even self-centered. And it's just an easy rut to fall into for us. Well, here's what I want you guys to be thinking about for the rest of our time today. And maybe I would like you to think about this the whole rest of the week. What if? What if we've been missing it all along in this matter of prayer? What if there's some things that we have been missing in this matter of prayer, and maybe that's why God answers this, but not that. I mean, what if there's so much more to praying than we ever thought or hoped or even imagined, and we've been missing it all along? Well, obviously, there were some people back in Jesus' day that were missing something in this matter of prayer because Jesus, in his famous Sermon on the Mount, he's addressing some very important issues as he's preaching this message and some of those issues these were some issues that people were just totally missing on in that day and those some of those issues with this matter of prayer not the lack of prayer but how to pray and when to pray and i'm thinking if jesus is saying this if he's saying this is how i want you guys to pray i think we should be listening to it so if you have your bibles go ahead and turn to matthew chapter 6 
We're going to look at verses 5 through 13 this morning. Matthew 6, 5 through 13. And this part of the, his Sermon on the Mount here, it, it's er, erroneously called the Lord's Prayer. Maybe in your Bibles you'll see that heading up there. It says the Lord's Prayer. I don't even know why they call it that, honestly, because it's actually an example that Jesus is giving us of how to pray when we pray. It's really more of a model or kind of a, a guideline uh, uh, for our prayers or appropriate prayer. The Lord's Prayer, by the way, it's in John 17. And that's a whole other sermon for a whole other day, but that's actually where the Lord's Prayer is really found. But here, the Lord is teaching us. He, he's not teaching us to recite this prayer. I want to point that out. Okay, This is not a prayer to be recited. There's really nothing necessarily wrong with that. But rather, Jesus is using it as an example of how to pray to the Father when we pray. So if you would, go ahead and please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. Matthew 6, verses 5 through 13. Jesus is teaching us here, and he says... And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to the Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray... Do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debt, debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you, God, and Lord, our only desire is, Father, to grow. Lord, we just want to be more like your son, God. So, Lord, your Son has given us a wonderful example of how to come to you, Father, in a, in a, in a right heart attitude, Father. So, Lord, I pray that you would take your word this morning, God, and you would reveal to us this truth of how we pray to you, Father, God, that would honor you, that would bless you, God. You, you, you deserve that, Lord. So, Father, would you help us and you give us understanding this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, this is a model of prayer or an example of how to pray that Jesus has given here. And I think because this has been labeled, you know, the Lord's Prayer, many people think that, again, we're supposed to be reciting this prayer verbatim. Uh, and maybe you've done that in the past or maybe you've heard someone do that. And, and again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But this is not Jesus's point here. I want you to understand that this morning. Jesus gives us this wonderful example of what a sincere, heartfelt, humble prayer should include. And I think it's really important to note this morning that there are different contexts for prayer, just such as I just prayed for the service this morning. Or maybe when we're in Bible study group, you know, we'll, we'll lift up prayer requests. Those, those are intercessory prayer. 
And, but what we're talking about this morning is, is personal. I want you to understand that this morning. This is personal right here. This is about your personal time with the Creator, our Heavenly Father. So, as Jesus is teaching on this matter of prayer today, the very first thing that we see in the Scriptures is inappropriate prayer. I want you to notice that. Let's go back to verse 5. Look at it. He says, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the, at the streets, corners, and that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And so this was, as you know, this was so typical of the pious, you know, pious Pharisees. They wanted to, uh, you know, be seen as the super spiritual elite. They, and, you know, they were nothing more than spiritual performers. They were pretending to live by this standard that they themselves did not live by. And so they would stand out in the street corners and they would typically do this in Jewish culture in that time. They would pray at 9 a.m. and they were offering sacrifices uh, in, in, in the, the, the temple. They would pray at noon. And then at 3 o'clock, that was another set time. This is when they would pray. And, and these Pharisees, they would go out in the open areas in the, in the streets and the marketplaces. They would lift up their hands and they would begin to pray. And it was all for show. But the second thing that we see in verse 5 is, is they still got a reward. Did you see that? They got, it was just a recognition of men. Jesus says, there you go. That's all you're going to get. You enjoy your day, guys. That, there, there's your reward right there. So next, Jesus here, he transitions to what we see appropriate prayer. So look at verse 6. And Jesus says, but when you pray, who's he talking to right there? He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to all of us right here. He says, but when you pray, go into your room. Now, let's stop right there just for a second because there's something really significant going on here. First, you notice that he's not saying if you pray. He's saying when you pray. If Jesus had said if, that, that would relate to something completely different. That would relate to like if someone calls me and says, Donald, would you pray for this? I'm going to pray for that. Or if I see something on the news that, that, you know, I mean, I need to pray for that. Or if I'm going down the road and I see a really bad accident, I'm going to pray for that. Or someone just gives a prayer request in a Bible study group. We're going to pray for that. There's those times when we need to pray at the drop of a hat. The Bible refers to this as praying without ceasing. It's that on-the-spot intercessory prayer. It's that contingency for prayer should always be with us. But here... This is a little bit different. Jesus is saying, when you pray, this type of prayer, it involves a commitment to a certain time frame. It's talking about a discipline. Whenever that time is for you, whenever that time is that you have set aside, whether it be in the morning or the afternoon, whatever works for you, when you pray, here it refers to a consistent daily time to where you carve out a portion of your day for the express purpose of going to the Father. So notice what Jesus says next in verse 6. He says, go into your room. What's that saying, Donald? Is it wrong to pray on the go? No. Jesus often did that. Oftentimes, Jesus would go walking off, and he would go into the mountains, into the wilderness, and, and he would pray. But Jesus, what he's saying here, there should be a specific time when you pray. 
In other words, whenever that is for you. He doesn't specify. But he says, when you pray, there comes a time when you need to get alone. That's what Jesus did. That's what we see here. And there's something really significant that follows after he says, go into your room. I want you to notice this morning. And, and this is where I think we overlook because if we will do this, it's going to revolutionize your prayer time. So you guys ready? Let's, let's look at what he says next in verse 6. He says, go into your room and when you have, and you may want to underline these next three words, shut the door. He says, shut the door. We don't want to rush by that part right there. Because this is something that we should be paying attention to because it's huge. This is very significant in our prayer life right here. I think at times this is where we're missing it, to be quite honest with you. He says, when you pray, whenever it is, that is, whenever it's your time to get alone with God, shut the door just simply means shut everything out of your life at that moment but God. This is where it becomes personal and, and intimate. When we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ so many times because of our salvation, and that's true. But utilizing this type of prayer right here, that's what makes the relationship personal after our salvation. Shutting the door means, Lord, I'm not going to allow any distractions in my life right now. I'm talking to you. I'm not going to worry about my finances. I'm not going to worry about my job. I'm not going to worry about all these unresolved issues. I'm not even going to worry about my marriage or my kids right now. Right now, I just want to focus in on who you are. I'm not going to worry about anything. I'm just going to shut everything out of my life for the next few minutes. Now, now think to yourself, how many times when you pray, can you actually say that right there, that you actually shut everything out of your life and just focus on the greatness of God before you hit the rest of the wish list? And I think the reason why our prayers seem so limited to those quick on the go prayers and those mealtime prayers is because, man, we're just not willing to take the time to shut the door. Now, here's the thing. To shut the door, does that literally mean shutting a physical door? Well, it can. I mean, if you got a place you can do that in, great. Shut the door, right? But personally, I think he's not limiting prayer to a certain or, or a physical room or shutting a physical door. His, I think really this is an attitude right here. This is a, a practice of prayer. And I think this is where the disciples were missing it. You see, they had begun to notice that the prayer life of Jesus was much different than theirs. And which is interesting to me because what did, what did Jews do in their culture? They prayed. They prayed like a lot. They grew up praying. They didn't grow up praying the little rhymy form prayers that we learn. They prayed again at 9 a.m., 12 noon, and 3. This is just the way these guys roll. It was a part of their culture. They grew up praying, you know, and, and the disciples, they begin to pick up on something about Jesus' prayer life that looked much different than theirs. And so they begin to take notice of this. And they begin, maybe they had this conversation between the 12th, hey, guys, Jesus, he's, he's not doing it like we're doing it. 
there had to have been some kind of conversation because obviously they, they, they're talking about the prayer life of Jesus. And they, so they decide to clear this whole matter up about prayer. So they come to Jesus and basically what they're saying is, Lord, we've been watching you pray. And I think we're not quite doing it right. In fact, I want you to see this. Go to Luke 11, verse 1. This is another account. This is a tight passage of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Luke 11, 1, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Did you pick up on that? Certain place. You may want to underline that. It's important. It goes along with Matthew's account. And when he finished... Here we go. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Now ask yourself, why would a Jew who grew up praying ask Jesus how to pray? I just find it interesting that disciples, you know, that being Jewish would ask Jesus to teach them to pray because this is something they would have grown up doing most every day of their life. And these two examples here in Scripture are the only places I know where someone is asking someone else to teach them to pray. So I think we should be paying attention to it. Probably no one in this room ever asked someone literally, hey, will you teach me how to pray? Because, I mean, after all, isn't prayer just talking with God? Well, apparently not, because you notice after the disciples say that to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, oh, come on, God. It's just it's talking to God. You guys have been praying your whole life. He doesn't say that. But obviously, Jesus says, okay, and he dives into this example, this model of how we should be praying. And it may have surprised the disciples. And you know what? I think it's going to surprise us today as we examine it. So let's go back to verse 6 in Matthew. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So we saw back in verse 5 that, you know, about this vain performance, you know, based type praying. The, the only recognition, the only thing you're going to get is just, you know, social accolades from men. But here we see a promise from Jesus that when we carve out some time in our day and shut everything else out of our life but God when no one is is even watching and no one even knows what we're doing Jesus says we're going to receive a reward and I don't know about you but it could because Jesus doesn't specify here and I'm not going to speculate but if it's a reward that Jesus says we're going to get then that's a reward I want and I'm not really sure what it is. And maybe it's an answer to our prayers. I, I really don't know. I, I really wasn't able to determine what he meant by that. But I just love the sound of that promise. I don't know about you guys. Look at verse 7. And here we go. When you, not if, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. So here Jesus is warning against falling into that trap of, you know, just praying these vain repetitions and, and just going on and on, uh, you know, like a prayer that just seems so mechanical and well thought out. And it's kind of an easy trap to fall into sometimes, if we'd all be honest. I mean, we, we typically say the same old mealtime prayers because we just don't know what else to pray yeah, over and over. And it, sometimes even our mealtime prayers, they just seem kind of mechanical, like it's something we got to get out of the way so we can just get to eating, right? 
many years ago, um, I hadn't I hadn't been uh, saved all that long ago, and uh, it's probably only been saved in my, maybe the first year of my salvation. We were at Westside Baptist Church, and we had this uh, couple that had joined a church, and this guy was a, uh, a pastor of a really large church down in South Florida, and he had taken a position with the uh, North American Mission Board, and so they were uh, coming to Westside and moving their membership there while they began to set up their new ministry and everything and and so i went up to him afterwards and i just introduced myself and and uh we got to talking i don't know we just kind of hit it off and he he said uh just ran do you like to fish i said yeah man i love to bass fish because that's what i like to do and, and so we got to go fishing so he said i'll tell you what we'll go fishing saturday i'll give you a call we'll do it you know and we did and and uh he says make a lunch because we're gonna be out there all day and and so we were out there fishing and it got time to eat so i'm thinking you know i'm a new christian i'm thinking this guy you know he's he's the big gun pastor super spiritual and everything and i was a little bit intimidated and we got ready to eat lunch he says i will say the blessing i was scared to death he's going to ask me to say the blessing you know because i don't know what i would have done in that at that that point in my christian walk but i'm expecting this guy to you know throw down from heaven right and all he did, he holds his sandwich up in the air, and he goes, Lord, thank you. And he took a bite. And I was like, that's it? You see, I learned something that day. It's not about the many words, as it says in verse. It's not about that. It's about the sincerity of your heart. And I believe with all my heart, that guy was very, very thankful that we had something to eat. So it's not about all the flowery words there. It's really more about a heartfelt thank you. But here is something else that Jesus says in our text today that I think we can appreciate. In verse 8, he says, Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you asked Him. I think Jesus knew that we were going to be some really busy people, fast-paced life. Because a lot of times you hear, well, I don't really have time to pray in the morning. Jesus, like he's saying, well, let me help you out. The whole wish list thing, he goes, you can shorten up your prayer time right there. Don't even worry about it. Your heavenly father already knows what you have need of. And if that kind of thinking kind of demotivates you from praying, maybe there's some things about prayer that you don't really know much about. Because the focus of what Jesus is saying here, it's really not about getting stuff or even our, our wants and needs being met here. You see, what he's talking about here. Prayer is when we see God as our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we have a genuine understand of who it is that we are talking to here, right? And so here's a thought, and just the fact that he would be willing to teach us how to talk to him is something that we should be paying close attention to. So you guys are ready to look at this example this morning. Let's look at it. Verse 9, here we go. He says, pray like this. Some translations say pray in this manner. He doesn't say recite it. He doesn't say pray it ver verbatim. He says pray like this. Jesus says here's how you want to start off your prayers. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Jesus is saying the first thing you need to do when you pray, whatever that is for you, he doesn't specify he said, you just need to get alone. You need to shut the door, shut everything out of your life, and you declare the greatness of God. It's the first thing you want to do. He puts this priority first on the list because he doesn't want us to blow past this point here. 
He doesn't want us to start off our prayers with the wish list because he already knows that part. We don't even have to worry about it. It's okay to pray and ask God for things. We know that. But he's saying right here, this is the, if you're asking me, Jesus is saying, if you're asking me, I'm telling you, here it is. You declare the greatness of God first. He wants us to start off with God, who, by the way, invites us to call him Father. Did you pick up on that? He says, our Father. How many times do we start off our prayer with that thought? And so here's the thing. When we begin to have a better understanding of who God is, we begin to see who we're not. And sometimes we begin to see his greatness in a whole other dimension. And sometimes expressing that greatness will be nothing more than silence. Because we're just so amazed at who he is. And that he invites us into this personal relationship. And he invites us to call, the creator invites us to call him father, daddy. Man, we just become speechless at the fact that, Lord, how great is your name. And Jesus wants us to start off our prayer like that. Why? Because the more time we spend recognizing who he is, the less time we're going to spend on all of our unresolved issues, and they begin to fade to the back of the line. Because the more time we spend acknowledging and embracing and experiencing just who it is we're talking to here, the more confidence we're going to have that he was with us when we leave the room. And sometimes, man, you're going to leave the room going like, wow, I didn't even, I didn't even hit the wish list. You don't have to. He already knows. And I guess that like most Christians, we don't spend a lot of time doing that in our prayers. But yet Jesus is saying here, this is how you start off. Jesus is saying, you're asking me to teach you, so here we go. I'm telling you, we're more like, Lord, thank you for a day. And Jesus says that's fine, but we're missing a critical piece to what he's teaching us here. You declare the greatness of God. Well, how do I do that? I'm not good at that part. I don't know how to do that. Well, you can just start by reading his word back to him. Have you ever done that? Hey, that's why these psalms were written, guys. This is not going to be on the screen. I'm going to give you this for, for free. <laughs> psalm 63. I mean, this is a psalm that I just love to pray. You, you want to learn how to express the greatness of God? Psalm 63. You might want to write it down. Oh, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you you with joyful lips. There you go. Psalms 119, another one. I could go on and on and on and on. This right here will revolutionize your prayer time. Those psalms were written to remind us the context in which we live in. 
to remind us to how great God is. The Psalms put me in context. That's what I'm trying to say. They put you know, in, me in context, all my finances, all my unresolved issues, all that compared to the greatness of God. So Jesus is saying, once you're in that room, wherever that is for you, doesn't have to be a physical room, once you've shut the door, no need to spend too much time on the wish list. He already knows. Just spend some time acknowledging the greatness of God. Well, how much time, Donald? Doesn't matter. Remember we saw back in uh, verse 7, it link's not important. You don't have to worry about that. But spend every how much time you need until it sinks in just who it is that you are talking to. Amen. We shouldn't rush by that first part. And here's why. Because it's going to affect everything that you pray after that. Look at verse 10. He says, Your kingdom come... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Lord, before I get my needs, wants, and wishes, I just want you to know not my will, but yours. Lord, I just want you to know that I'm fully surrendering my life to you. In other words, your kingdom before my kingdom. Your will before my will on earth, Lord. That means in my world as it is in heaven. In other words, your will for my money. Your will for my life. And that's kind of the point we go, I don't know about that. Wait a second. You know, I don't know about that part. But this is where we enter into lordship and submission. It comes into our life and our agenda sometimes becomes a threat. And so we get a little sketchy on that part. And this floored me as I was studying for this. When I finally got why Jesus is giving in this, this model of prayer in the order that he is giving it to us. Watch this. Jesus is putting in this order. And here's the order being, number one, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then secondly... Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus has put it in his order to bring us into an alignment with his lordship. That's what's going on here. Because we're never going to get to the your will be done part until we understand just who it is we're talking to here. And if you can't pray that second part for now, it's okay. Probably nobody has ever told you that. Just stay in the first part until you understand just who it is you're talking to. Listen, guys, this is where life changes. This is where your relationship deepens. Life doesn't change by praying some little form prayer that rhymes. Never has. It never will. This is where God becomes not a category, but a personal Savior. When we surrender to him like this in prayer, that's where life begins to change. And maybe you're thinking, well, I really want to surrender to his will, but man, there's some things in my life I just struggle with. I know they're wrong, but it's hard. I'm just struggling with these things. Just be honest with God. It's all you have to do. Just be honest with God. Be, be willing to go back to the first part of this prayer. Declare his greatness until you have a better awareness of who it is you're talking to. He's the creator, guys. And he invites you to call him father. 
And if you run out of time just wrestling with that issue, that's okay. Just be willing to come back the next day. Declare His greatness and be willing to wrestle with these issues. God understands that. God's saying, hey, let's just shut the door here and let's just declare my greatness and let's just focus on that issue that you're struggling with. Let's just make this thing personal. And if it takes a while, that's okay. But you just keep, the, you know, keep that direction going. Man, this is a completely different way to pray, isn't it? But if you will do this, it becomes personal. And you will begin to see something amazing happen in your life. This is what your Heavenly Father is inviting you to right here. This is where life really changes so many times as a pastor i hear you know i prayed a prayer but i never really saw my life change i said well let me introduce you to how jesus said to pray maybe maybe that's where you went wrong i don't know but see guys this is why the death of his son was so important because it paved the way for us to have this kind of relationship with the heavenly father so when you pray here we go number one Shut everything out of your life but God. Number two, declare his greatness. Number three, surrender your will. Look at the next part that Jesus gives us in verse 11. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, this is not so much about provisions as you might think it is, but it's really more about dependency. The imagery is this. Remember the children of Israel as they were meandering their way through the wilderness and they were whining about this and that and, oh, we're hungry, we need food. And God says, okay, I hear you. And he sends down the manna from heaven. Remember that? But they couldn't gather, they couldn't hoard it because it would just rot overnight. And so they were completely dependent upon God for their daily bread as they went. And so really this is more about dependency than provisions in verse 12 it says and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors now right here is the heart of the prayer i think because we're debtors to god because of our violations to his law we owe a debt to him that we could never repay that's why jesus had to pay it for us which leads us right back to dependency if you notice Because I'm just as dependent upon his forgiveness as I am for my daily provisions. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he's forgiven your sins past, present, and future. Yes, that's true. But we still confess and agree with God when we sin. We tell him we're sorry and we need his help in that area of our life. So I'm just as dependent upon him to wipe away my sin as I am dependent upon him to help me forgive others who have sinned against me. I mean, we're real quick to ask God to forgive us, right? So many times, man, we're not so quick to forgive others. And this is why this is an example of how to pray right here because Jesus knows we're going to struggle with that. But the example is this, as God forgave us, so we must forgive others. That's in your family. That's in your friends. It's even in your marriage. Verse 13, our last verse. 
And do not lead us into temptation. This is about protection, guys. God doesn't tempt anyone. I mean, it's completely against his nature. It's against his holiness. In fact, James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. So Satan is the one who tempts. But sometimes, many times, God will allow that temptation and God will use it as a test. Not that God doesn't know what we're going to do. He wants us to learn from it. So I'm just as dependent on God for my protection and my strength as I am for provisions and for his forgiveness. See how this falls in line. Man, we need to pray verse 13 here with authenticity at all stages of our life. And you young people, you need to listen to me on this one because it's going to be a whole lot easier for you to ask for God's protection and temptation right now than it will be later on in life. I can assure you of that. Because once down, you start down that road of, I've got to have this, I've got to do that, or this or that. Man, it's just hard to stop that ball from rolling. I'm going to tell you, you can find yourself in debt and all kinds of serious problems. So whatever it is that you're holding on to right now, whatever it is that, that's keeping you from surrendering to God's will right now, just hold on. It's going to get a lot harder as you get older. Because Satan's alive and well, man. He's always throwing those temptations out there. But let me tell you a secret. Whatever it is that you think you're holding on to and you think God can't get to that because you have not surrendered it yet, if you think God can't get to that area of your life or that decision you've made, then your God is about that big. Because God can take it at will. And the fact that he has it is just proof of his patience with you. He wants something bigger than that. He wants something much bigger than whatever it is you're holding on to this morning. He just wants your heart. You are what he wants. And the issue is not the value. The issue is not what you're holding on to. The real issue is, do you trust him? Maybe you're thinking, well, I want to surrender these areas of my life, but I struggle so hard with this. Well, just tell him and be honest and say, God, I'm going to give you 8 out of 10, and I'm just going to keep coming back to you each day, and, and I'm willing to wrestle with this. And that's fine for now because now you're praying. Now you're making it personal. Now you're pursuing a relationship. See, guys, again, the issue is not what you're holding on to. The issue is do you trust him? And I have to trust him as I grow in my relationship with God so that whatever it is that I'm holding on to so hard, I can begin to let go of it one step at a time until my hands are wide open saying, yes, Lord, have your way. And so in closing, that's the goal right there. That's this kind of praying. Now you pray praying. That's a relationship, man. That's gaining trust. That's gaining trust through this kind and this type of praying.
hopefully have a better understanding why Jesus is giving this example of prayer and why he is not only just giving us this example, but why he is giving us in the order that he is giving it to. Here's my challenge to you this week. I hope you'll be able, willing to pray in this manner. I know it's hard. It's tough. But you know what? If you will start to pray like this, using the Psalms, use the Psalms to keep your head straight. Keep, keep all that nonsense from, you know, coming into your memory and messing up, gumming up the whole works. But if you will begin to pray like this, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your relationship with God to a whole nother level. Amen? Amen.